Hello, listeners. I want to share with you an opportunity to study the work of Nobel Prize winning Annie Arnaud with me and Linda Joy Myers starting on May 2nd. We will be teaching a four-week course, $149, in which we'll be reading, studying, and discussing four of Arnaud's seminal works. This is a chance to familiarize yourself with her style and her craft, which I see as the absolute best way to become a more discerning reader and writer yourself in the process. And so quickly, I came up with five great reasons to study Ernaud's writing, and I want to share those with all of you. Number one, Ernaud offers a crash course in feeling and evoking emotion on the page. Number two, her books play with voice, the intimate, the communal, the third person, the universal. Number three, she often digresses into musing and philosophizing in ways worth understanding, if not emulating. Number four, her writing moves fluidly between timelines without losing the reader. And finally, five, she is a no-holds-barred, honest and raw writer on the page about her body, about her experiences, and about her right to claim those experiences without shame. She is a marvel. So think about joining us on May 2nd. Erno's slim volumes are easy enough to read in a single sitting or two, and they're evocative and chock full of meaning. We're so happy that she won the Nobel Prize, a huge win for women and memoirists everywhere. Find details about the course at www.magicofmemoir.com. Thank you, and on to this week's show. Hello, writers and earners, side hustlers and poets, wordsmiths and worker bees. I'm Grant Faulkner, Executive Director of National Novel Writing Month, writer and side hustler. And I'm here with my hardworking writer and side hustler and wise co-host, Brooke Warner. And we're here today to talk about this very mysterious and cryptic topic tangentially related to writing money. And Brooke, I recently saw a friend who I grew up with, and he told me, you must be loaded now that you've published a book. <laughs> uh, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. We know that while some fortunate few make money from their books, they are few, and most of us have to work other jobs to make ends meet. In fact, writers often even sacrifice income to, in order to invest in their books. So money and books um, often don't go truly together. And I, I'm curious, Brooke, why do you think there's this notion out there that a published book makes an author rich? Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't think you were loaded. So I just want to put that out there. Oh, nor well, nor do thanks. I think that about myself or anyone for that matter, in my immediate writing community. Um, yeah, obviously, that perception exists around people who are wowed by this amazing lifestyle that we're living um, that, you know, I think it was, it seems to afford some people and also because some writers, of course, are very are doing very well. I mean, I can think of some local authors that we both know who are probably making their living being full-time writers, but there are very, very few. And I think it also stems from not understanding anything about the realities for the modern author, which we're going to definitely touch upon today. Uh, so yeah, with people's perceptions, right? Like what people assume makes a lot of money about how people equate things that maybe seem glamorous with making a lot of money. I mean, I've often, I have thought the publishing industry is kind of glamorous. I used to think that a lot more when I was younger. Uh, and then undoubtedly, there are a lot of misperceptions out there because you know, there are lots of best-selling authors who you would presume are making enough money to just write books. But even the best-selling authors I work with and know are not living solely off book royalties. They're having to do teaching and speaking to make ends meet. And so I guess it just has a lot to do with lack of transparency, really, about earnings and advances. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think authors are are generally very secretive about their advances. And I I guess that follows an American taboo to not talk about one's income. Uh, But there's really more to it. Um, You know, we read about books that get six or seven figure advances and maybe get optioned by Hollywood and made into movies. And but on the other hand, if if your book gets a 10 or twenty thousand dollar advance, which is very common, uh, if not customary or no advance at all, if you've published with a small press, then, you know, divulging how much money you make for a book can seem to define the quality or appeal of your book. Um, And that's another unfortunate American convention, judging the value of something primarily through a commercial lens. The best books aren't the ones that make the most money or sell the most copies, as we all know. You know, there there are many other variables at work, and many of them are variables the author has no or little control over. You know, Grant, on that point, I actually think a lot of authors also fudge the truth about their actual book sales, because I have gone to so many things over the years, and no one's really talking about the difference between selling, for instance, 99-cent books or $0 books, and then they'll conflate that into their earnings. And I think there's a natural human tendency to brag and make things seem better than they are. And I have mixed feelings about that, because on the one hand, as an author, you kind of need to say, you know, look at me, and I'm doing great. You don't want it to be a total sob story. And on the other hand, if we're not honest about what we're actually earning and what we're actually selling, then we're painting a false perception to aspiring authors. Yeah, I have noticed that there are a lot of best-selling authors out there in the world, right. <laughs> and I'm not sure how they're figuring that out. Uh, but I thought it was interesting a few years ago when many authors revealed how much they made being the publishing paid me hashtag. And if you didn't hear the, about this, the publishing paid me is a hashtag um, used mainly on Twitter, and it was created by writer L.L. McKinney, who happened to be a NaNoWriMo writer, who we actually had on Right Minded to talk about that hashtag. And it culminated in the development of a, a crowdsourced Google document in which authors shared their advance payments. Um, and many things were revealed, but the but one crucial thing the document showed was how much lower advance payments were offered to black writers compared to their white counterparts. And that wasn't surprising, but the degree of the difference was wider than many anticipated. Yeah. And those kinds of campaigns are incredibly valuable for moving the needle too on fairness. <laughs> In addition to other things, you know, it showed publishing systemic biases uh, and it spread all the way down to the numbers, of course. And then those biases affect which books publishers choose to invest in. And that in turn affects what books end up succeeding. Uh, so that was, uh, I thought that was a really important moment because it also just showed how dramatic the effects of these biases can be. Uh, and also in other ways for authors, because we got a window into the widely varying advances. And that happened too with the recent Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster trial. And what the DOJ learned, though it's hard to know whether they took it to heart, is that it's really hard to trace much logic between the level of an advance and the book in most cases. Uh, And then I want to talk about the veil of secrecy that is fostered by the publishing industry, because even when reports are detailed, uh, like Grant, you and I both have access to Publishers Marketplace. Anybody can have access to it. I think you pay $25 a month at this point. The exact advance amounts for new books are coded, and they'll say things like a very nice deal is any advance between $50,000 and $999,000. A good deal is between $100,000 and $250,000. And so authors are put in this position of ranking themselves, but it's pretty ambiguous. I mean, those are wide ranges. And then this can 
have the effect of just, again, speaking to perceptions, it can threaten author's self-worth, or it can make you just be quiet about it, or maybe not list it if you don't want to share. And I know firsthand how much that silence really serves to disempower authors in so many ways. And that's why I'm just so impressed with authors like Rachel Heron with us today, who's going to open up about her writing income and who does every single year to other writers, because I think it really is helpful. Yeah. And I remember when I first read Publishers Marketplace, I, I would only see that code, a very nice deal or a good deal. There was no way for me to know how those translated, you know, into dollar figures. So yeah, it's a really interesting, cryptic, uh, kind of closed <laughs> community. But, you know, like, like you said, I mean, Rachel is great because she's opening the doors to this. And I, I, I recently did a webcast with the indie author, Denise Grover Swank, and she told me how her books were initially rejected. So she decided to publish them herself, both to have creative control, but also just to publish her books and have them in the world. She didn't want to wait for traditional publishers to control her fate. And she's a savvy writer and a savvy publisher. And in the midst of the webcast, she actually said that she made $300,000 a year as a writer. And she actually wrote best-selling books, but she still couldn't get bookstores to to carry them. And so she was talking about a bias against self-published books, but she was also talking about the validation she most prized, which came from her readers, not from publishers or retailers. And I thought it was interesting because so many indie authors actually don't have a veil of secrecy, uh, like traditionally published uh, writers tend to do. And I often find in, indie authors talking about their their investments in their books, their expenses, and then what they made as a result, um, really as a way to help their fellow indie authors. And, and I don't know if that's because to be an indie author is to be an underdog and an outsider, but I love Denise's openness because she wasn't bragging. She was telling her story. And like Rachel, she works very hard for that income and she's a smart business person as well as being a smart author. So Brooke, I'm just curious about your take on the indie author community and its ethos and if they also have a veil of secrecy over their income or or are more forthcoming. Well, indie authors clearly spend money. And so I think it's a different orientation to the entire experience of being an author, of course. And indie authors have uh, stigma, right, around the fact that they're spending money. And so I think it's an interesting thing. It's like to share what you are spending is another kind of lack of transparency, right? But I think in order to fight this elitist industry that we're in, then talking about the fact that we're investing in ourselves and that we have great books that are comparable to our traditional counterparts actually helps us to make waves into this space and to show like, you know, hey, this is not a second choice. It's not a worse option. So, you know, some writers and thinkers who get published with these huge advances, of course, are some of the brightest stars in our society, but others not so much. And I think we both know very well that publishing decisions are super arbitrary. So I think indie authors do still have a lot to overcome in that regard. And part of it is about having pride in the fact that they are investing in their work. And I think the more that we talk about that and more that we resist being, you know, categorized as less than, you know, the of course, more strides we're going to make in general. And I talk about that in my TEDx talk, and it still resonates with me today, this idea that we have to find our legitimacy from within. No one, not even the publishing industry, can bestow legitimacy upon us. And so for indie authors, 
I think about that transparency as the reverse negative of the transparency of the authors who get paid, which is to say that indie authors being transparent about what they spend is also going to show that you have to spend sometimes to be successful. Because in this industry, whether it's the author or the publisher who's fronting the expenses, someone has to spend money to make money. That's just true. So I'm super happy that we're having this conversation about money. I always love to talk about money. It's funny, Grant, because people, well, Rachel's going to talk about in a second, just apologizing. So many authors that I talk with about money either feel that they're being aggressive in asking me questions about money, in which case they apologize to me for talking about it, or they assume that it's going to make me feel bad and that I won't want to talk about it. And so it's just an interesting dynamic. We have a really complex relationship with uh, money in general. I think women even more so than men. So I'm very excited to unpack this conversation with Rachel, which we'll get to do after this short break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I am excited to introduce Rachel Heron, an old friend and also an internationally best-selling author of more than two dozen books, including thrillers under R.H. Heron, mainstream fiction, feminist romance, memoir, and nonfiction about writing. She received her MFA in writing from Mills College, Oakland, and she teaches writing extension workshops at both UC Berkeley and Stanford. She is a proud member of the NaNoWriMo Writers Board and a veteran NaNoWriMo writer. And she's a New Zealand citizen now, as well as an American. And she lives in Wellington, New Zealand. Welcome, Rachel, all the way from New Zealand. It is so nice to talk to you, Grant and Brooke. It's so nice to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And we're, we're going to dig into your bank account, all your statements, your tax documents. <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's it, I've always, I, I noticed, you know, several years ago, you wrote a blog post about your, your writing income. And I think, I just thought that was so brave of you to do and how you've maintained doing an annual reveal of how much money you make as a writer. And um, it's, it's important for, for so many different reasons. Um, but I was wondering if you can kind of tell us like what sparked you to do it and then why you continue to do an annual income report. And then it would be great if you can give it a, a little bit of an overview of this year's report. Absolutely. So what sparked doing it was that I just knew that there was not enough transparency when it came to the finances of writers. There's this, there was this myth out there when I started that either you made literally zero dollars, negative dollars, you're spending money, or you are a millionaire. And there was nothing in between. And I knew lots of people who were publishing books or writing articles or teaching, but I had no idea what these people made. And, you know, I, and I would talk to my friends and our faces would kind of squinch up as we started to talk about things. And the more we talked about what we made as writers, the more comfortable we got with this. And I believe that shrouding all of this in secrecy does writers a disservice. It is true that lots of books make very, very little money. And it is true also that some writers make millions and millions of dollars. But I think 
the majority of us working writers are somewhere in the middle with that. And so I published the first earnings report. I believe it was probably 2014 or 15 or so maybe. And I've done it every year since then. I have a podcast called How Do You Write? And on the first episode of every year, I break down what I made and how I made it. And I got to tell you, I love doing it. And also because each year I have actually made more money, it has made me super uncomfortable. And it is something that uh, two years ago, I felt so uncomfortable talking about it that I had few people writing back in response to that podcast saying, don't feel uncomfortable, just say it. Don't apologize for what you're making. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I should not apologize for that because I work hard and I love talking to people about this. So um, without further ado, I will let you... Okay, no, look, my voice was starting to do that apologetic thing. I'm going to tell you <laughs> what I made last year. So um, I do a little bit of everything. I really believe in diversifying where the money comes from. Many, many, many streams of income. I get lots and lots and lots and lots of deposits into my account. And sometimes it's 12 cents and 23 cents and $1.47. And I don't laugh about any of that. Actually, Grant was on my show recently, and I was telling him this new thing that I do. Whenever $1.27 hits my bank account, I think to myself in my head, I think, thank you to the reader who chose to spend time with me. So um, in 2022, I sold, uh, I made about $27,000 from traditional publishing. I made $55,306 from self-publishing, including audio. So for a total of 82,000-ish, that was the books that I sold, which is incredible. I'm really, really proud of myself for that. And actually, um, if people go back and listen to that first episode of this year, I'm sure I got some of the numbers wrong because it's never until after taxes are done that I actually realize what I truly made. So $82,000 from publishing, uh, from books, makes me super happy. And then the part that always makes me feel a little bit strange, and it won't today, um, but I do a lot of stuff to help other writers because it is truly a passion of mine. And I coach and I teach. I do online conferences. I do in-person appearances. And um, I do this online writing together thing. So for a grand total of 100000 $946, so almost $101,000 last year uh, for that. And I kind of keep, I, I think of that as the teaching um, bucket. And then I also have this other bucket uh, that's just a Patreon bucket. And I really love the Patreon bucket. That brought me 15800 last year. And in the Patreon, I, provo- I, I write one essay a month and creative nonfiction is just my inc- passion. And what I'm doing last year for that $15,794 is I'm giving myself an advance on a book. I'm writing an essay, an essay, an essay, and then I can collect them together into books, which I can either give to my agent to sell or self-publish myself. So that's super cool. So for a grand total of $198,647, the year before that was $190,000. So I went up by about $8,000. Wow. Eek! Big congratulations. Congratulations. And also thanks for the transparency, because I think that's what people love. You know, we're just so conditioned not to talk about money and it's refreshing, I have to say. And I read that early in your writing career, you got a three book deal with an advance of $110,000. And a lot of your friends were saying, you've made it now and you can become a full-time author. And clearly that was not the case. So what was your thinking on that 
now versus then? Oh, see, that's such a, that's, that's so good. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of math and I want to like, I want to admire everybody listening to this because writers are the most positive, optimistic, stout hearted people in the world. We are born with hope in our very souls. So um, I don't want this to hurt any souls, but this is another part of the myth that needs to be broken. So I made this six figure deal on my first book that was a NaNoWriMo book. Um, my very first NaNoWriMo book became the first in this series and it went in a three book deal at auction to HarperCollins for $110,000 for a three book deal. So that broke down, you know, and everybody's like, and me, I am like, oh my God, I have made it big, big, big time. Um, but after we do the math, that's, they publish one book a year. That's 36000 600 per year after your 15% to your agent and after 23-ish or whatever your tax bracket is percent to taxes plus the 15% for self-employment tax that you have to pay if you're a writer, that leaves $17,000 a year for those three books. And I lived in Oakland back then. I lived in the Bay Area, $17,000 while amazing. And I will never, ever take that for granted. Um, I couldn't live on $70,000 a year. So I made that deal, but I had to continue working. I worked and wrote full-time. I worked as a 911 fire dispatcher um, and I wrote full-time for about 10 years before I was able to quit the day job and just be writing. Wow. Perfect segue, um, Rachel, because I, I have this great quote from you. You said, Maslow's hierarchy of needs says that before we even get to write a book, let alone live off the royalty checks, we need food, water, shelter, clothes, sleep, health, emotional well-being, safety, friendships, intimacy, and at the very least, some basic self-esteem. And if we have all those things and still have some money left over to pay for health insurance, writing snacks on the internet, only then do we get to think about writing full time. And I remember when you made that huge leap, and it felt like a leap, at least to me, um, to go from a 911 operator to, to writing full time. And it's interesting to me to hear you give all these calculations for the mathematically challenged writers who are among <laughs> us. And, and also, but, but it involved emotional calculations as well. So can, can you yes. tell us about that moment when you, you made, that was a huge decision. It was a huge decision to go full-time. That was 2016 um, that I did that. So it's been, what is that, seven years now that I've been doing this. And I've, I've made more every year. However, I in another part of full transparency, at one point in my life, I could not look at money. I couldn't think about money. I didn't know how much we had because we had so little of it. We were so in the hole. My wife and I bought a house right before the big crash, we bought it with fake money. You know, the money that mortgage brokers were just giving you. I didn't, I shouldn't have been able to buy a house, but we did. And at one point we were not, not including the house, but at one point my wife and I were $127,000 in debt. That was IRS debt. That was, um, from, from an old thing from her, uh, that was $50,000 of student loan debt for me and a just ton of credit card debt. And I felt so trapped. And it was a friend of mine um, who was kind of in a very similar situation. We decided to see what we could learn about money. And we came across this program, and I'm going to give it a huge plug. It's called You Need a Budget or YNAB, youneedabudget.com. They changed. It's just it's basically budgeting software, but it's not like any other budgeting software. And people who use it and who learn how to use it, I actually learned how much we needed. Because I knew all I knew was at the end of every month, we were short. 
And that's because I didn't know at that point that every pet that we had cost $100 for us to like, you know, in terms of food and vet bills amortized over the whole year. So, so this program, You Need a Budget really taught me that. And writing and making these sales allow, and working hard and doing overtime at my job allowed me to pay off all of our debt. Um, we didn't have, I knew that I couldn't quit my day job until we had zero debt. I, I had finally learned that debt was an emergency. Debt was money that I had to pay off first. And it was depressing and hard and awful and also wonderful to finally get out of it. And the day that we paid off my the student loan was one of the best days of my life. And we had no car debt. We had only had the house. And I knew that I had to bring in $3,000 a month to make my portion of the mortgage. And I have done that every month ever since, but I, I tell you, I still worry that we're going to have to go live under a bridge, even though we've made this amazing jump to New Zealand and we just bought our house here last month. It's still, I think money is always going to be a concern, but understanding it and understanding, especially in writing the ebbs and the flows, you know, you can get a bunch of money and then not see anything for a while. So for me, having those multiple streams of income is what is key for me being able to sleep and and continue to do this job. But I tell you what, if I need to go get a job, I'll get a job. I will we don't have a Trader Joe's here, but that's what I always said I would do <laughs> if I if I needed to. Just, you know, that's that we do what we need to do to cover those Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then we get to write as well. I can see you doing well there. You're so friendly and I love to check out people at Trader Joe's. So I do too. Uh, I, I miss that. <laughs> yes, I bet. So speaking to those multiple streams of income, because at the beginning you graciously let us know that you have all these multiple things you're doing. So speaking, the Patreon, the coaching, plus the books, of course. So how have you carved out these different pieces? I mean, was that organic or was that out of necessity? A little bit of both. Um, the Patreon, it, Patreon was just ramping up, I think, in about 2015 when I was thinking about exiting my job. And I remember at that point, you could you could put a, I don't know if you could still do this, but you could put a goal on it. And I put a goal of, um, I won't even, my Patreon won't go live unless I hit $500. And I'll probably never hit a $500 a month pledge. And I hit that $500 a month pledge in a couple of days by asking people who had been reading my blog or reading my books for a while. And um, and I just remember thinking how kind and generous those people were to give me these dollar amounts, $5 here, $1 there to support me. So Patreon has always, has always got a huge part of my heart. It was what enabled me to know that at least that portion of money would be coming in regularly. So I always make sure that I make time to write that essay every month. And it's some of my favorite writing I ever do. And it, it needs to be good for me to send it out to them, even though it's basic, they know they're getting basically a, a second draft, but I want it to be good. Um, everything else I've carved, I've, I haven't so much carved out as I have grabbed with both hands and tried. I, I am kind of the entrepreneurial sort. I remember as a kid, I had, you know, I always had some kind of business going. I sold bumper stickers and I painted curbsides with numbers for emergency responders. And, and I always was after a hustle. And what has happened over the course of years has been really, really great in that I have tried everything and I've made a little bit of money doing a little bit of everything. I used to um, doctor query letters and uh, do uh, different kinds of coaching. But what I've done is I've weeded out the things now 
that I don't love, love to do that don't give me energy. And that is, um, that's a privilege because at the beginning I was doing everything. I was formatting large print books. Uh, I was, I was just trying a little bit of everything. And, and now I just do what I love, which is really, really the teaching. That's so interesting, Rachel, because um, my next question is on this subject of the side hustle. And I mentioned your pie chart of different diverse revenue streams, um, income to a friend. And I, I mentioned it in a highly complimentary way, but her reaction was actually that she was concerned that you were churning out books and classes and stuff like that to make a living and not nourishing your creative expression. And I know that to not be the case, but I'm curious, how would you answer that? How are you making sure that your creative expression is primary? I love this question. That is a natural response. I would probably have that response to, to myself if I heard about this, right? Um, but for me, I think, I think you and I talked about this recently is I always had this thought in my head that a truly successful writer would be making more money writing the book selling than doing anything else. And for years I have made a little bit more money from teaching than I have from writing. And it was a source of frustration to me until recently. I just this last year, I realized how much teaching gives my soul and fills my soul and fills me in a way that I think writing never will be able to. And writing of course, feeds me something different that teaching will never be able to. And the fact that I get to have both of these things and the fact that teaching pays well means that I don't have to hustle to churn out books anymore. I only write what I love now. I write about one book a year, which is kind of, I, I guess I was up to about two books a year for a while there, but right now I'm doing about one book a year and, and only what I'm passionate about. And my goal for my writing is always to feel that the last book that I wrote was the best book. So the last book that came out was Hush Little Baby um, from, it was a thriller, came out from Penguin Dutton. Uh, and it's the best book that I've ever published. And I got to tell you, nobody's read it. Nobody has read it. It has absolutely failed. Um, selling wise, the thriller that came before it, Stolen Things has earned out. It's still making money. It's doing great. Um, but it, but I, I only bring that up to mention that I will never see another dime on Hush Little Baby, but I remain content because that is my strongest book so far. And the next book that I publish, it has to be stronger than Hush Little Baby for me to be satisfied. And teaching and doing all this other stuff allows me the time to do that. That's fabulous. And I'm guessing if you're working on one book a year or publishing one book a year, then you always kind of have something that you're working on, like a work in progress. And then you're also promoting past books. So I'd love for you to talk a, bit, a little bit about that. Like if there's a creative project that you want to share about right now, but also I'm curious about that balance because so many of my authors who publish multiple books are balancing that tension between the new book plus the books that they're ongoingly trying to promote. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult um wire to walk, right? Like hush little baby, I just remembered to bring it up, but I almost never remembered to bring it up because it's so far out of my head now. Right now I'm balancing my my agent has two books on her desk. One book is a novel which is out on editor's desk. She's taken it out um recently. And then there's another memoir on her desk that I need to do a little bit of revision on before we take that out. But my problem is even though I manage to produce about a book, a book to two books a year, I'm always working on a bunch more than that. So my difficulty, I guess I am 
um, a bit multi-passionate when it comes to the books. Like right now, I am finishing the memoir of moving to New Zealand. I am working on another uh, book for writers. I'm working on a second memoir and also trying to capture some ideas for the next novel that is kind of percolating in the background, plus all the revision on, on the books that I need to do. So um, that is probably my one of my biggest challenges in writing is making a decision of what I'm going to write work on for this month. And I try to kind of go month by month and push projects forward. Otherwise, my natural tendency would be to do 15 minutes on this project and 20 minutes on this project. And I have found that in my own practice, nothing gets pushed forward if I'm doing that. I really do need to focus on one project at a time to get big bits of motion to move forward. But it is, it's difficult. I will always find it difficult, I think. Well, Rachel, in closing, I'm curious if you could come up with your, your, your number one bit of advice for listeners about making a living as a writer. And you can, you can toss in just your number one bit of advice about writing as, as well, if you want. <laughs> Let's see. Um, making a living as a writer, don't let anybody tell you that it can't be done. It is not only doable, it is being done all the time. I have so many friends, and I know that you both do too, who are making living wages or better, and no one has ever heard of them. No one is talking about them at the next party you go to. They're not on book club lists, but they're making solid money. And my advice about that is to think about your writing career as creatively as you do your books. Open your mind and look around to see if you need to make more money, where can you get it? There are some people who like to make money within the writing world. That's what I do. Um, but one of my best friends, Sophie Littlefield, she would rather die than make money uh, any other way than a book. So when she runs out of money, she does. She goes out and gets a job at the container store or she was driving for Lyft for a while. Um, I think one of the best ways to be to make a living as a working writer is to be open to filling in the gaps where we need to, to support ourselves and our families and our lives um, in healthy ways that keep us happy. And, and the money that we make from writing is just, oh, it's so good. It feels so good. Um, <laughs> and it can be, and it can be done. And the, I, what was the other question? The most. Um, well, I know you've got, you've got so much advice for writing and you've written so <laughs> many books on it. I just figure you can reach into your back pocket and pull out like some closing inspiration. Well, uh, it comes from um, something my friend Jay Wells always says, uh, which is follow the juice. Follow the juice. If you are writing the book that you're writing and it feels dead and flat, it does not mean you should abandon that book. In fact, you probably shouldn't. Um, but go find something juicier in the book. Jump ahead or jump back or do something new. We have to get excited about what we're writing. We have to we have to love what we're writing. A lot of the time, there will be days where it just all sucks um, and it's all hard. But if we can remember to follow the juice, that is, and have fun, that is the biggest piece of advice I think I can give. Cool, that is so good, Rachel. Thank you so much. You're always inspirational. Thanks, Rachel. It was a joy to be with y'all today. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Brooke. We'll be right back after this short break with today's book trend. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today's book trend is, no surprise, Transparency About Money. And, and Brooke, more, more than a trend this week, I thought we might follow Rachel's lead and take on an exercise in transparency if you're up for it. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about if you could be transparent, not me. Oh, always. <laughs> Lay it on me. Great. Well, I, I've always been traditionally published and you are independently published through your press. So I thought we could talk about earnings and expenses and share with our listeners some of the truth about why neither of us is living in a mansion in Marin. Yeah, cool. I love it. And I am happy to start. And since you sent me down this, uh, you know, thinking about my money, I will say I have published six books on She Writes Press. Uh, In each of those cases, I will be honest and say that I've paid a bit below the package price, which you might call nepotism or you might just call a founder's discount. Uh, But that package price for She Writes has gone up a lot over the years. So 11 years ago, it was $3,900. Now it's $9,500, which is a big leap. Uh, I think in part, we were undercharging in the beginning. Uh, We've got bigger and better talent on the staff side and inflation, but I digress. Uh, And so I have paid for my own books somewhere between $3,000 and $6,500 each. Uh, I've also paid the full cost on all of the print runs. And the most expensive uh, of those was my last book, Right on Sisters. And Right on Sisters is probably the best case scenario to talk about because I spent $6,500 on that one on the book production costs, uh, $2,000 on editing, $4,500 on printing, and then around $8,000 on publicity. And I've sold... 1200 books. <laughs> so the earnings on that are approximately $5,000, give or take. So on this book, it turns out I'm in the whole $15,000. Um, but what I need to in- impress upon people is why I'm totally fine with that and why a lot of authors are okay with falling short of earning out. And that's because that book and my other books have brought me income and visibility. And so I do want to circle back when it's my turn to talk about earnings, because I really do see earnings as a concentric circle, you know, always having uh, like the book at the center and the way that that opens up ways for you to make money and or increases your earning potential. And I don't want to leave out visibility, which I think is really important. Uh, So Grant, how about you? Are you uh, ready to share your advances? Yeah. And that's a great way to think about um, a book is that it is opening up many doors at once. Um, So the income, you know, is is, the different way to measure it, I guess. And on that note, my advances are all over the map, starting with zero. I published with three small presses, and like most small presses, they don't give advances. In fact, I noticed on one royalty statement that my royalties didn't kick in until my sales covered the publisher's expenses. So that's kind of like an anti-advance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I talked to a fellow author um, at the press who told me that she's still in negative territory, actually. Um, and when I mentioned this to my agent, she told me that, that this has become a customary practice with many small presses. So, you know, read your contract carefully, because I didn't. But on the other hand, I'm not sure how negotiable that is. 
So my most recent book, though, The Art of Brevity, was published by University Press, the University of New Mexico Press, and I received a $10,000 advance for that. And I'm sorry to say that I, I actually don't know the range of University Press advances, but I was quite happy with that. And I was also happy that they had more of a support team than smaller presses. And I'm going to be very interested to see how the book does compared to my other books as a result. And then for, for bigger presses, uh, NaNoWriMo's Brave the Page received a, a $50,000 advance from Penguin Random House, which we're actually still earning out, as I am with a similar advance for Pep Talks for Writers for Chronicle Books. And, and that's one thing we should note is that most books don't actually earn out. I think it's something like 80% do or, or don't. I think it's don't. Yeah, 80% of the books don't <laughs> yeah. earn out, something like that, yeah. Uh, but don't quote me on that, but it's 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 a lot of books. And I, I should note that the $50,000 that I mentioned didn't go to me, but to NaNoWriMo, who functioned as the author and the signer of the contract of the book, even though Rebecca Nystern uh, got co-author credit for writing the book. So, Brooke, you mentioned earnings. So tell us about how you feel uh, the book has brought you earnings beyond your $5,000 in royalties. Yeah, well, it's not totally measurable, but I do know that without published books, I would not have the kind of platform that I have, nor would I have the aforementioned visibility that I have. And I think that's hugely important for all writers becoming authors to consider. Uh, I believe that because of being a published author, I get invited to do more speaking, more teaching, much of which is paid. Uh, I sell books directly also, not for lots of money, but I've probably sold something to the tune of 300 books directly and I po uh, pocket 100% on that. So I figured the math is something like 300 books times $15, which is 4,500 minus the printing costs, but that's still about a $3,600 earnings just in direct book sales. And so if you tack that on to the 4,500 that I, or 5,000 that I mentioned earlier, we're inching into the $8,500 territory, which is pretty good, but still not earning out. Uh, and then being a published author has increased my confidence to ask for more money. I think that's another really important piece. And I also can't see how I would be doing this podcast if I weren't a published author, because there's this stuff that we're mentioning about legitimacy, right? I mean, this, this platform that you build for yourself and you say, hey, I'm an author and it allows you to do certain things within your industry because you have an elevated stature. And I believe it matters zero, zero, zero that all my stuff is self-financed because I believe in my books and I'm really proud of my books. And I think that's the piece that I was mentioning earlier about legitimacy. It definitely comes from within and just from the knowledge that I've done a good job. Uh, and so Grant, before we move on expenses, I do think it's important to explain to listeners that even if you get in advance, like you said, uh, it's not always a slam dunk, obvious thing to celebrate. Like it's great, but it does have a few dirty secrets. So one is that you have to earn out the advance. And in your case, you said also earn out all of the publisher's expenses, which <laughs> is like news to me. Uh, so it's really just an advance against those royalties, or as you said, an anti-advance. Uh, what are your thoughts on all this, you know, given your historically modest advances and what have been the things you've ended up having to pay out of pocket for yourself as an author? I like being known as an author with historically modest <laughs> advances, Brooke. Thank you. Thank you very much for that distinction. Anytime. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> or actually that's inflating things because I do have some <laughs> unmodest advances going the wrong way. But yeah, uh, so while well, $50,000, you know, that can sound like a lot of money, but if, if you divide that by the number of hours that go into all aspects of the book, writing, editing, marketing meetings, book events, social media, much more, it's, it's really not much for a lot of work. And it's, it's certainly not quitting your job money, at least in the Bay Area. I often think the writers really, most writers don't make much more than minimal wage. I have no stats to back that up, but I, but I think it's probably true. And then you're right. There's, there's a lot of investment you pay for out of pocket. You know, I've purchased uh, social media ads for my books. I've invested in Goodreads giveaways. I always buy good food and drink for my book events. You know, they're just endless things, small and large, that go into a book uh, that I don't even really track, but they're, but they're there. But I don't, I don't feel bad about that because, you, you know, I, I long ago made the decision that writing wasn't about money for me. You know, it's, it's about the community and the conversation and the overall life experience. And that's what gives me joy. So if I get any money out of this, I just consider it gravy. Yeah, and I am sure that we have listeners all over the map on these questions and considerations. You know, it's not about the money for some people on one hand. Uh, other people, it's totally about the money. Also, how much expense can you justify? Because not everybody has the money to self-finance. It's very important to say, and I wrote about that extensively in my book, Right on Sisters. Uh, do you need to earn out? And what other considerations around earnings do you have, right? Like I said, what are the offshoots that might come to you from being a published author? So there's just a lot to think about. Uh, and that's why we're here to talk this stuff through with you every single week. Uh, thank you so much for your loyal listenership. And we would love for you to shoot us a note if there's something that you want us to talk about on a particular topic, whether that's for the show or for a trend. I love it when we get recommendations. So thank you to those of you who have sent those. And sometimes we do invite those authors on the show. We are pretty easy to find on the socials and we will be back in your feed next week. So thanks everyone. 